Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be another edition of our roundtable featuring Tom McLevy, Sands, and Justin Lacey. And we're going to discuss all the Bengal headlines. We're going to discuss the draft, free agency, the indoor facility, and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast roundtable featuring Tom McLevy, Sands, and Justin Lacey. All right, welcome to another installment of the unofficial Bengals podcast roundtable. I'd like to welcome our esteemed panel of guests. First, hailing from Ocean City, Maryland, courtesy of Morristown, New Jersey, an expert on the Bengals front office and all things Cincinnati, the first Bengal fan I've ever met in person, and a very, very dear friend, I'd like to say hello to Tom McLevy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. Yeah, how you doing, guys? Next, hailing from behind enemy lines, the biggest Bengal fan in Pittsburgh, our resident X's and O's expert. He's so good, he only goes by one name, kind of like Beyonce. I'd like to welcome in Sands. Sands, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, Frank. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would like that one. And last, but certainly not least, hailing from downtown Cincinnati, the next big talk show superstar and an expert on the psyche of professional athletes and professional teams, and also a very dear friend, I'd like to welcome in Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? I'm doing fabulous, and the intro was very, very humbling. I love it. Yeah, I should have put on my Michael Buffer voice. I was thinking about it, but um, you know, this is the way it went. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I, I just wanted to give you guys all credit because you're all wonderful guests on the show, and you all bring a specific area of expertise and it makes for a great roundtable. So with all that behind us, let's go into our first topic. So the first thing, we've heard recently that the Bengals are going to be putting in or hopefully constructing an indoor facility, which is pretty major for us Bengal fans. It's been something that's been thought about and talked about for a long time. And I'd like to get each one of your thoughts on this. And I want to start with someone who's been kind of behind this for a long time and kind of mad that we haven't done it. Tom, what are your thoughts on the whole indoor facility thing? It's amazing the look of success has done to the front office that it like it like woke them up that there had to be either it's Katie Blackburn or whatever. But what happened with that Super Bowl run has changed. Like you have to protect Joe Burrow and not only on the field, but with the weather. I mean, what else can you say that all of a sudden the shift is now focused on not only the offensive line, but protecting him from uh, the weather for just practicing. So it's a it's a wonderful change of scenery for the Bengals front office. Tom, how are you feeling about the cost of it? Because I know it's it's a pretty crazy price. And, you know, what are your thoughts being a front office guy on, on that part um, of it? Listen, for a guy handed a team, and now you're now not worth millions, but billions of dollars, that's a drop in the bucket. So, I mean, it's long overdue. Sands, I'm going to move over to you, and 
obviously Tom talked about the reasons why and why it's a good thing. I wanted to get your thoughts from more of a football player's standpoint. How do you feel it's going to impact the players if if they do end up building the indoor facility? I just think from uh, probably a psyche standpoint of just like uh, it's crappy weather. I mean, not just crappy weather, but like it's freezing cold in Cincinnati. And we, you know, I guess they went to UC sometimes, but uh, and and they're going to go play. Let's say they're going to go play um, somewhere warm, like Miami in the first round of the playoffs or something like that. And uh, well, I guess they would be traveling to Miami most likely, but you know, go with the scenario. They're going to play somewhere warm, but maybe they go to UC. But it's nice to have their own place to go because it's not going to be cold out there. Getting in the elements and practicing that way, it really doesn't do anything for you. So I'm sure players will be happy about it. And um, really, the other thing I can think of is just like you could create a lot of conditions in in a, in a closed environment. I mean, you can make the balls wet. You can pump in crowd noise. I mean, they did that in the, in the outdoors even. Uh, you could do all that type of stuff still, but it, it just makes it more of a, uh, I don't know. If, if I was a player, I'd be happy about it just because I don't, I'm not always constrained to the elements. It's raining. We're, we're playing in Louisiana, the Superdome. Let's just practice indoors instead of practicing in the rain. I know there's like the hard, tough guy, hard nose mentality of like, uh, we do all the elements, but I mean, if you're not going to play there that week, I, I feel like it's a little bit of, I feel like that type of talk's a little bit performative compared to actually being useful. Justin, what are your thoughts from from a team psyche standpoint? What's what's it going to do for the team, and you know what what are the benefits or downfalls of it? I'm actually going to go a little bit more globaler and think of it as not just a team perspective, but an organization and a fan perspective as well. Too is one big major step towards modernization for real. Um, you think about the Ring of Honor. That was one of the big major talking points last year about the Bengals not having a Ring of Honor. How are we going to be able to honor our guys from our past? Uh, Cincinnati, I, I live here. I've lived here my whole entire life. Really hasn't been cultured in as a football town. And I understand that getting an indoor practice facility, not necessarily the make-believe essence of we're going to be a, a football town now. But as McLeavy just said about endorsing the new success that we just had, and can want to continue to have projected and moving forward, having an indoor practice facility, even though it's going to be a bubble to start, and then we're going to later build our own, it just gives us, the city of Cincinnati, just like the respect that we're a real NFL city. They, yes, we're not going to be the punning of budding jokes about we don't have an indoor practice facility, we can't afford one, and that our stadium looks like a high school stadium with the Paul Brown Stadium as like Times New Roman spot on it, it really will start to feel like that the Bengals have really kind of taken its full presence amongst the city itself, and then the players are going to see that. They're going to feel that pride. They're going to understand that. And yes, with the weather conditions and stuff, it'll be a great factor, but also it'll bring sharpness to things of just route running. They don't have to worry about wind conditions. They can just be able to hone in on the finer points and the details of, you know, their plays and making sure that they hit every bullet point and not necessarily feel the, the weight of the distractions because somebody's towering over the bridge that hangs over the practice field or near Paul Brown Stadium as well, too. So I really love the idea of the practice facility. It, it's, it screams modernization and is very happy that a lot of fan, a lot of fans are happy, including myself. So, And I know players are feeling very gracious behind it, too. 
Yeah, I think it's a good idea overall. And the one thing that I wanted to add to it is it's going to help players that are injured because if you know if you're coming off an injury and you're practicing out in the cold, it's it's kind of tough to get loose and you know you're, you're a little tighter than you want to be and possibly yeah. re-injure things. All right, you know, let's move on to the next point. And this is one of the biggest personnel issues that's facing the Bengals over this season and potentially next season. It's the Jesse Bates extension. Now, he wants top three safety money, and that's a lot of money. And they franchise tagged him instead of extending him, even though he played very good in the playoffs and has had a pretty solid career for us and has shown that he's earned the money. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Because I know that, you know, we're looking at extending Burrow and Higgins and Wilson and Von Bell's due up next year and a handful of other guys. How do you balance out keeping Bates around, not keeping him around? I'm kind of stuck on this one. Sands, let's go to you first on this. Yeah, so it's always tough to talk about this when you don't actually know how the negotiations are going. Maybe the Bengals are saying... Jesse, you've never been a pro bowler. You've never been a first-team all-pro. We're not going to pay you even, what I don't know, $14 million. We'll, we'll give you like 12 or 13 But it's also possible the Bengals are going, here's a, 50, a $15 million a year contract or a $60 million a year contract, and Jesse's saying, I want 18 So if it's the latter, you kind of look at Jesse and his agent, and you're like, I don't know, you know. Uh, is the $2 million, you know, that big of a deal? But if it's the former, when, I mean, I think both arguments have substance to them because I can see the Bengals kind of lowballing. They've done that before, but it's also a new regime. And maybe, and Jesse's agent, David Mulgetta, I believe, uh, he goes for the biggest deal. He's also T. Higgins' agent, just for future reference, for what that contract might cost. Yeah, it's tough to talk about i tried i just i'd really like to extend him although you're getting into the window of running into like burrow's contract but if it was me i'd really try to maximize the next two years next to your window and you could do that with franchise tags but you actually do a better job extending and creating more cap space that way backloading it and it, the way the Bengals do it it's not going to all be guaranteed anyway so you could either restructure or cut or trade or whatever at, towards the end of that if you really need to make some space so I would be pushing more to extend him, but I also understand that with his agent and everything that's going on like that, uh, it's possible Jesse's maybe asking for more money than he's worth. And this could also also just be a deal of guaranteed money, and Jesse wants to get what other players of his caliber get guaranteed, and the Bengals haven't done that before. But they will have to pretty soon with Burrow and Chase because – well, if you let Burrow leave, you might as well just sell the team. <laughs> because yeah. no excuse about like I don't we don't have the money to do a guaranteed money. No, dude, you you've got the quarterback. You have to pay to keep him, and uh, and that starts to me with Jesse. But uh, I also understand if they want to push that back and save their guaranteed money for Burrow and Chase and the guys that they think will really need it. Yeah, I I respect that answer as well, and it's it is someone that you want to keep around in the building. Justin, what are your thoughts on Jesse Bates and what we should be doing with that? Well, I would love to see him extended too, and that's just—I'll just kind of throw that out there on the record to say that the Bengals have a tough decision to make. They let this thing wallow out for now two years now, and now we're in a situation where this contract can get out of control in a hurry. And we are thankful that Jesse Bates hasn't gone out on a limb publicly and demanded a trade. You know, like a Tyree Kill, you know, or like a Devontae Adams. You know, when they are dealing with the contract situations. You know, Devontae Adams came up, I would say he did not want to have the franchise tag. And then he ended up getting the franchise tags and then later got traded. 
Um, and, you know, he wanted out of Green Bay at that point. I'm very thankful that Jesse Bates hasn't gone to the extreme measures in that context, but at the same time, this has gotten out of control. The Bengals at this point needs to look at Jesse Bates, I'm using the counting term here, as a surplus value, whereas you may have to be expected to lose Jesse Bates after this season is up. And as while we want to have Jesse Bates here, he is a fan favorite. He's been a part of the new regime and a new culture, even though Marvin Lewis was the one that drafted him. You have to start thinking beyond what Jesse Bates wants at this point. What he wants, you know, I, I don't know if he wants to be the highest paid safety, but let's just say, you know, he wants to be top three, as you alluded to. Then, you know, he deserves to go ahead and chase after that. That's what he truly desires and truly wants. He's earned it. You know, of course, he may have not made a Pro Bowl. Well, I'm sorry, but that has a lot to do with also the team be, not being as successful along with him trying to be fire Marshall Bill all the time because that's kind of what his game has always sort of been. But for the Bengals, they also need to look at to where is the most value on their team. In my eyes, the value on the team outside of Joe Burrow is the Migos. You know, you got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. And obviously you got Joe Mixon too. But the Migos are three the wide receiver trio, that's the value of the team. And if you feel like that extending Jesse Bates is going to cause friction between extending those contracts, namely T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, then you just have to swallow your lumps and be able to just allow him to go ahead and move on and then let him go ahead and chase what he wants if you're not going to be willing to pay him. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. He deserves the money. It's just so hard to rationalize that. Tom, from a front office perspective, can we afford to extend Bates? I think they're waiting until after the draft to see how the draft pulls. Maybe they like somebody in the draft that we can move on from him. But when you have success, this is the problems you have. You know, like one football with the offensive side, you got three stud wide receivers. I read an article where they could look to move Boyd because of the T. Higgins deal coming up. Joe Burrow coming up, and then you'll have Chase eventually. You, you can't have the money all on the one side. That's why, you know, Ogunjobi filled that physical in, in Chicago during, you know, the first thing all the Bengals signed him. I think they're waiting until the draft to see who falls to them. I mean, one of those Georgia linemen fall to them, they'll move on from Ogunjobi. Bengals signed their players big players right before training camp. So I think the draft, they'll wait until after the draft, and then uh, they'll either pick up the beach negotiations again, or they'll have some sort of sense that, who knows, if they move uh, Boyd, uh, they're saying maybe the Cowboys, and um, take uh, maybe the UC Pierce receiver, lower cost, so that gives them more time on the uh, offensive side to deal with those other contracts, and then they can deal with Bates' rest of this offseason. Yeah, Tom, that's a good point about keeping the, the dollars equal on both sides of the ball so you're not lacking in any capacity. And the way they used Tyler Boyd last year, which was not as much as I thought they were going to use him, it lends some credence to what you're saying. I mean, I want to see him stick around, too. But if you're going to try to afford some some of the expensive defensive players, he might be a casualty. I wasn't even really thinking about that. 
I really hope it's not true because I think he's a great player. And I, I, I spoke about Bates in the last episode, and one of the things that I, I did mention that I, I figure that you guys are on board with is the Bengals don't traditionally value safeties, or the NFL in general, right? They're like safeties and running backs. They never really seem to get top dollar. And when you when you corner yourself in a big deal like that, like McCaffrey or Ezekiel Elliott, it ends up hurting your organization in a way. So it's it's a shame that we've developed this Pro Bowl level safety that we might not really be able to afford, and he might be a casualty. And as Sands had talked about, that's what happens when you're a good team. Like we saw the Seahawks with with the Legion of Boom get dismantled defensively over the years, and you know they went from a couple years in a row going to the Super Bowl to they haven't even sniffed that recently, and that comes down to money, and that's why the NFL is the way it is, and that's why there's parity, and that's why you can have the Bengals going to the Super Bowl one year, and you can have you know I mean the Forty Nine ers yeah. went to the Super Bowl as a mediocre team a couple years back. Either well, that way, goes with the the fact of drafting. Drafting is key to the NFL, so you don't get caught other than quarterback, where it's a you know it's a, either you got one or you don't. We got one, so now we have to like foresee this, saying okay, can we get a guy in the draft, which is uh, which will give us a few more years, so we don't start having to throw big money at these guys. All right, let's move on to one more non-Bengals-related point before we dive into some deeper stuff and and probably the most interesting stuff. The owners' meetings just happened, and I I guess the big takeaway from that, in addition to Miss Blackburn being on the competition committee, which was very flattering for the organization, was the overtime rules. So we know now that only in the playoffs, no matter what happens with the first team, if they score a touchdown or not, the second team is going to get a chance to possess the ball. Sands, I'm going to move to you first. Do you like this rule, or if not, what would be your ideal overtime rule? Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel in between on it. It feels like a halfway measure for what they really want, and to me it makes sense because you really did have the game decided a lot of the times. Not every time. Obviously, the Bengals, I thought, I actually didn't think this rule, I thought this rule was going through after the Buffalo game, and then the Bengals won after losing the toss, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, maybe that's maybe it's not going in this year, because whoever doesn't like it has something to point to. Like, yeah, just get a stop like Cincinnati did. I but, uh, I like it, but I mean, I, I don't love it. it. It's fine. I don't know. It's tough to figure out exactly what to do. I don't like doing an entire 15-minute period, because I feel like that could lead to injuries or like unnecessary injuries trying to play a full 15 minutes like that like i think soccer some other sports do something like that i don't love the college one because i think that's just so much scoring although i think it's cool um maybe you could do that from like the 50 or the 45 the minus 45 not in their territory so there, there's a few ideas that might be better but i mean it's it's pretty good I, i'm not against it i just i don't know I think I thought the really interesting one was uh, I think the one I think Baltimore might have put it through or maybe it was Philly. Something about you have to go for two, and then if you get the two point conversion as the first team to score, then the game's over. But if you don't, the other team gets the ball and the chance to score, or you could kick the field goal, the extra point, and the other team gets the ball and chance to score. And I found that really interesting to maybe see if teams try to start going for two. I don't know, there's some excitement about the game on the line from the two-yard line like that. So I'm sure we'll see that still because that, that is something you could add on because uh, 
one one team scores a touchdown, the other one goes down and scores a touchdown of their own. But they decide to go for two. If you're Buffalo in, in that Kansas City game, I would. Your defense isn't stopping them, especially not from getting a field goal. Justin, what are your thoughts and what's your ideal overtime scenario? Well, I'm actually going to uh, start out by referring to a tweet that I made out a while back after the rule, uh, the rule was initially announced. I said, I feel like that the only, if we're being perfectly honest here, that the only reason why the overtime rule has been adjusted is because league felt bad for Josh Allen, and because he put up this insane stat line in a divisional round against the Chiefs, and they felt bad that when it went to overtime and the Kansas City got the ball, that he didn't even get a chance to see the ball, and they, and they lost the game. And I thought that's kind of pretty stupid, if you ask me. Um, I'm not a fan of this rule. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a fan of the new overtime rule. I don't think that it's going to create – yeah, it'll probably create a little bit of wiggle room excitement that people have not expected, like what Sands referenced with the two-point conversion. But ultimately, in the end, I think that they're just trying to push the offensive football agenda and forgot that defense still matters too. Let's look at the AFC Championship game as what we just talked about. The AFC Championship game, the Chiefs was the exact same situation where they had the ball first. Did they have the momentum? No. The Bengals kind of had the momentum because they stole it away after pouring it on in the second half and tying the game up. But that's football. I'm going to refer to Marcus Spears on ESPN. You know, he says, and I and I agree, that overtime is supposed to be sudden death. You know, it's supposed to put that extra angst that, hey, this game can be decided by a coin flip. I didn't like it how it was originally when it was decided by a coin flip and then a field goal would just automatically win it. I I was not a fan of that because you do want to get a little bit of competition. But how it was was structured and detailed, in my personal opinion, it was just fine. You know, if one team scores a field goal first, okay, the other team has a chance to match that field goal. If the other team scores a touchdown first, hey, even if your defense is atrocious, you still got to figure out a way to play football. Nobody's not going to feel sorry for you, just like no one's going to feel sorry for your injuries. Rich Eisen also pointed out, you're going to probably see a lot of people defer at the start of overtime instead of accepting the ball. Tom, what are your thoughts and what would your ideal overtime situation be? Justin's right with the, the they saw what Buffalo did against Kansas City and oh you know, how could that happen? They didn't get a chance to reach but like you say, then the Bengals the following week play defense. So Justin's right with the NFL saw what you know, make the offensive powerhouses be able to to match each other, but we did what we needed to do when we needed. Let yeah. me let me add on top of this as well too before we move on real quick here. First and foremost, I know a lot of people have this popular idea that these kind of games happen so often where you get these offensive shootouts in the playoffs. But if we're being perfectly honest, this doesn't really happen as often as we think it does. I mean, yeah, the most recent example is Buffalo and Kansas City. And let me also ask this uh, question for context. Do you think if it was Ryan Tannehill at quarterback going against his Chiefs and they were going on this offense explosion, do you think that they would have pushed the agenda of changing the overtime rules at that point? Or if it was Andy Dalton? It was heavily quarterback-centric of who they liked and yep. felt for who they wanted to propel. Justin, Absolutely. Yep. that's yep. exactly what I was going to say to cap off this segment. Because it was Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes – 
it drew extra attention. Oh, you know, Josh Allen got cheated. Yeah, what if it was Derek Carr versus Tua? You know, like, they wouldn't have been thinking about changing the rule. I, I guess my stance, I've heard all of the different scenarios and everything. I, I, I just think, like, a 10-minute timed quarter. Just, you, you flip a coin, whoever wins the coin toss gets the ball, and you play for 10 minutes. If they run eight and a half minutes off the clock, then the other team's in the two-minute drill. And then whatever happens after, after 10 minutes, whether it's a three-point swing, whether they both score a touchdown, both score a field goal, all right, let's go to what I believe is the most important and most interesting question that people are going to want to hear the answer to. Let's take the first three rounds of the draft this year. I'd like to get each of your opinions on not specifically the players. If you want to say players, that's fine. But the positions that we should be going for in those first three rounds. Sam's, I'm going to start with you on this one as well. I think for the first round, there's kind of a big five players, but it's some corners, some offensive linemen, and then if one of the pass rushers falls. If none of those guys are there, I hear the argument for safety, but maybe try to trade down. And I know it's it's tough to trade down. You need two people to do it. And I feel like sometimes people forget that you can't just uh, do the Madden and <laughs> put it in, see how fill, filled up the green bar is, put an extra seventh rounder in there, fill it up a little bit more until you finally get it right. Like That's not really how it works in the NFL. I mean, if the Lions or the Jags or whoever, they're like, hey, we got like four guys at that value. We're not trading up. Uh, then they're not trading up. So, but yeah, I, I think the there's five guys for round one. Um, that I think could be there, Linderbaum, the center, Kyir Elam, a corner, Andrew Booth, a corner, then Zion Johnson and um, Kenyon Green, both offensive linemen too. If they're there, I would just take one of those guys and move on. Um, George Karloftis fell in a recent one, but he's been a top 20 guy most of the time, but one of the NFL media guys put him to the Bengals, and yeah, that makes it a big six, I guess. If, one, if they're all gone, then that's when I'd look to move down and try to get a little bit extra value for it. When it comes to second and third rounds, it's kind of what didn't you hit in the first round? If you got a corner, maybe look at offensive linemen. Also, starting to get in around time for tight end, or maybe you'd save that for the third round because they need a tight end too. They need a defensive tackle. They could use just a pass rusher in general and then need an offensive lineman. So looking at corner, offensive line, interior of the offensive line tackles are set three tech defensive tackle type and uh defensive end and then if anybody really falls like if one of the big wide receivers Traylon burks falls to like 63 i don't know how you pass that up <laughs> you just figure it out but you look to get corner interior offensive line defensive tackle edge rusher type in round one you fill out whoever you didn't get in round two and then round three kind of the same with who you haven't hit and then also add in tight end and maybe a wide receiver just because their fourth guy right now i think is either stanley morgan or mike thomas which yeah you could improve uh justin what are your thoughts on the first three rounds what should we be doing position wise i kind of lean as my ace in the hole is tyler Linderbaum, the center from iowa if he's there go ahead and grab him you know chances are he's not going to be there but if he is there you don't don't take no chances perfect that offensive line and then guess what you went from having the worst old line two years ago to the potentially one of the best uh, top five old lines i mean you can make that argument even now of the move that we've made but you still got that little bit of a hole at left guard of what you want to do but if you draft Tyler Lindenbaum that solves that problem 100 percent 
But I also do agree with fans in this this approach when it comes to taking corners because we are going to need some corners depth. Here's what I like about what the Bengals have done the previous offseason, the last two previous offseasons. They've baselined their roster, not making one person secondary at the the cornerback position more specifically, the cornerback one. They signed guys to pretty much just all be like cornerback twos and then the best rise above the best, and that person ended up being Shidobi Awuzie. Well, I'm sorry, he pronounced his name. Shidobi Awuzie. I like that, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, Andrew Booth, you know, that, that name screams to me because he kind of brings this physicality approach of something that has been missing on the corner end for quite some time. And I think that he has that look like, he, he has that fire in the love of what it means to be a bangle. And for those listeners that forgets what that is, a bangle is a tough hungry, accountable teammate that's going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. I think Andrew Booth does that. Yeah, he also has a little bit of slip-ups in this game where you'll probably maybe see a busted coverage here and there. And also, I think, you know, if we're already going to talk about the safety mindset here, Daxton Hill, I hear his name come off a lot, but I'm also going to entertain the trade-back option in the second round for David Ojabo, too. I wouldn't take David Ojabo, even though I really like him at 31 personally. I know that there are a number of fans that really love that 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 option, but the, the Achilles injury injury scared me. And I know that you get a lot of surplus of value if he does come back quicker, but you got to take it with a grain of salt that that may not happen. That he's going to redshirt that rookie year, so that's why I would entertain the trade back option at that point. If you really are absolutely in love with Ojabo, but then after that point, you know when you move on to the second and third rounds. I mean, you also got to entertain another receiver or maybe even a running back. If a high-value running back falls to you, I think Brees Hall kind of, you know, toggles my mind a little bit. I haven't done much film work on him since. You probably know better than I would at that. But I think long-term-wise is that you got to start thinking a little bit life beyond Samaj P. Ryan. And if Chris Evans is going to turn into what we believe he's going to turn in, he's going to fill a lot of options, too, for people to be traded. And you always want to have that next man up and keep that pipeline going. Tom, what are your thoughts on those first three rounds? Well, I'm a guy where best available player, other than quarterback and wide receiver, the Bengals have holes still. You know, like everybody said that, you know, that center from Iowa would change that whole offensive line. But like corner, linebacker, even uh, defensive uh, tackle and end, uh, one of those Georgia guys fall to them, grab them, and then they move on from uh, uh, Ogunjobi. But to, to, to pinpoint a position, I, I never liked that, you know, and, you know, other than Chase. You know, I'm open to trading down. I like that tight end from Colorado State. If they trade back into the second round, but uh, you know, cornerback, of course, like everybody just said, there's plenty of holes that they could uh, take guys. But to say to target, take a cornerback round one, I I never like that. Uh, let the draft fall where it will, and um, go from there. Yeah, I think that all three of you guys make great points about it. And I'm, I'm going to dive into my predictions in another episode, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But I, I would just say if the center falls, he would be a great addition. It seems like it would solidify the offensive line. 
And you gotta, if you're going to get a corner, you have to get him in round one or round two. So if the center's not there, maybe it's a corner in the first and a guard in the second. Or, you know, like Sans said, you kind of, whatever you don't get in round one, you, you aim for in round two. And I also agree with what Sans said about a tight end in the third round. I think you can get one of the top three tight ends there. And that would be a great compliment to Hurst and another weapon for Joe Burrow. Hey, maybe, maybe times have changed now, you know. So maybe they package a number two and a number seven. They love those sevens, and they move up somehow. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, they're getting a bubble. They made the Super Bowl. Hey, might as well go for the hat trick, right? Move up to maybe 10, 15. I, I love it. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you guys. I, I have no use for rounds four through seven. I know they fill out the back end of your roster. I did some extensive research, which I'm also going to lay out in another episode, which shows that there hasn't been many fourth through seventh rounders in recent years that are even on the team anymore. So those those picks are, I, I feel they're a, a lot more expendable than GMs think they are. And to move up and get a really dynamite player, I, I, I said it before, and you guys know I, I follow by this by this mindset Get as many top 50 players as you can. You walk away out of the draft with three top 50 players and nothing else, I think that's a winning draft. But, you know, that, yep. those are just my thoughts, and you know that's probably why I'm not a GM. Let's move on to the next question, and this is going to involve free agency and the money remaining. Now, I'm seeing different amounts at different outlets, but it's appearing that the Bengals have somewhere around $11 million left, unless, unless one of you guys knows differently. I'm going to just assume it's right about there. What would you do with that remaining money? Now, there's three options. One would be extend some players or extend a player. Two would be chase after some of your own that have that are still out there, like your Reefs, your Ogunjobis, your Spains. Or three, you pursue maybe one more big-ticket free agent that's still out there. And you, you got a few, and you like your Gilmore, your, your Treader, even Kyle Van Noy, I mean, I know we have a linebacker, but he's like a difference maker out there, even though he's getting older. Justin, what are your thoughts on what you do with that $11 million? Yeah, I don't actually have the exact dollar figure, so I'm also going to make the assumption that you're correct with that as well, too. But option number one, I'm going to do the best that I possibly can and keep revisiting the Jesse Bates saga to finally put that to an end. I think that for a team morale standpoint, that will do them so much justice just to say, hey, guys, we're still not giving up on Jesse Bates. We still want him a part of our locker room. We want him a part of our culture. It also will free up cap space in the future, as we alluded to earlier, With if we were to do the extension. And I think that that's the number one option that I would probably go with. As far as, like, signing, trying to go out for one other big-ticket guy, I don't really think that there's any of them that really screams my attention to say, like, oh, yeah, let's go and get him. For the most part, they've done a great job of filling the, the holes that they needed to, especially on the offensive line. You know, I would like to go and get another cornerback, you know, in free agency. I know Stephon Gilmore's name's been mentioned out there, but I really don't see that happening at all. He's over 30. His best years are almost pretty much significantly behind him. And I don't think the Bengals are going to put in smart dollars if they were to go out there. It might look good on the paper, like, hey, we made another signing. But it wouldn't be smart dollar spent. It will honestly feel like another Trey Wayne situation, with the exception that Stephon Gilmore will probably do play. It's just not as great as we all think he could. I think, honestly, too, bringing in Ogie Joby coming back, I think that that will do wonders. But I wouldn't do that until after the draft and after training camp. You know, when 
minicamp and stuff and OTAs roll around after the draft is settled in and you already signed all your players. And then you revisit if you want to try to talk to Ogan Joby. Like, hey, you know, I would love to bring you in on another proven deal. Uh, you meant a great deal to our defensive line. As I said in the roundtable episode before, he was my favorite free agent signing because he added a lot of value on the defensive line. But my number one option would be me personally, if I was the decision on the $11 million, is pick up the phone, hey, David Malgetta, enough is enough with this bargain game. We want our guy back. Let's make it happen. That would be good for team morale. I do agree with that. When you know the guys on the roster see that they're taking care of their own players who've excelled. Sands, how are you going to spend that $11 million? And more in particular, do we think about bringing back Reef in Spain? I think you think about it, see what they will cost you, especially Spain, because left guard is open. And I mean, if Carmen or Smith or Harris, Linderbaum, whoever can't start over Quentin Spain, they probably shouldn't be starting. I mean, I think Quentin Spain's a solid player, but I don't know. If you're trying to be a Super Bowl team, you need that type of play along your offensive line. Going for below average, but not liability is not what I'd be looking for at any of those spots. So. I'm into bringing him back. I don't know what the money cost is. I think he's still in Cincinnati training with the guys. So he almost almost like he expects, like, eh, you know, I'll just hang around. They'll just bring me back eventually. Uh, <laughs> sneak into the stadium. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? I don't have a contract. Um, but uh, I think about them. I definitely would think about Larry Ogunjobi just because I think his market's dead from the – failing is physical and like that sucks for a player but hey what where else to have another prove a year than the place you proved it right <laughs> you know just have it for like one year's five million and let him do the same thing he did last year maybe on a little bit even more of a rotation depending on the draft goes maybe they get a couple more guys to fit into his spot so he gets more breathers but uh yeah i'm really into bringing him back i'm not opposed to any of these corners but i almost feel like they like eli apple more than some of these guys right or wrong like sometimes i think about like i know joe hayden's old but i'm i'm not opposed to that idea of bringing him in and seeing like oh who's going to win between joe hayden and eli apple and maybe they maybe they're trying to save room for a rookie or something i don't know but uh, stefan gilmore i'm not opposed to that depending on the length of the deal i mean i'm into like a two-year deal not like a four or five year one with him being over 30 just see what they've got you know you want somebody better than Eli Apple for the Super Bowl run, so and I can't think of any of the edge rushers and defensive tackles that are still out there. I feel like most of them have been signed. Maybe even by the time this comes out, another one will be signed that I wasn't even sure was available. So like hey, we know Larry Ogunjobi fits, so I'm very into that idea. I think the Bengals, if they are gonna sign their Ogunjobi back, they're waiting until after the draft. They wanna see if like a Devontae Wyatt falls to 31, then they don't really have a need for Larry Okunjobi. But if they never find room to fit in a three tech or any type of defensive tackle, then there is room for Larry Okunjobi to come back. So I don't know. I, I'd spend it a few ways. I'd probably bring back Larry Okunjobi, probably bring back Quentin Spain and just roll with that. Um, extending wise, extending will free you cap space. It'll cost you money, but it frees you cap space. So if you find a way to extend Jesse Bates, his current cap hit is like, 15 million on the uh, franchise tag if you extend him that year one cap hits usually lower and especially if he signs for like 16 then it'd probably be like 12 and you free up another three million dollars to go try to do something else creative so i think you could extend and then get more money so i would be looking to extend base don't know what that's looking like but 
a few things. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of options out there to spend that money, and I'm sure the Bengals will probably not do much with it, and they'll probably just sit on it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I think that any future free agents are going to come after the draft just to see what they got and how things are going to fall from there. Tom, how are you spending that $11 million? Just what Sam said. Go back to Bates. Because, like you say, these next few years are key with all these free, you know, these great draft picks they got. They're going to come time soon. So uh, you want to win now. Number one, go to Bates. Work that with the future cap hits. Uh, the rest of the guys are everybody that was mentioned, Reef, Spain. Okanjobi, I mean, even a cornerback. I think whatever's left out there, they're one-year wonders. Here, here's a one-year deal. Baker to leave it, you know, prove it. So I, I think the realistic look is to Bates to free up cap space in future years. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I, I would love to bring Ogunjobi back. I think he had a great year. Let's make sure that that foot is healed properly, but. Like, I'm, I'm still into looking at J.C. Treader. Unless you guys know something I don't know and he's damaged goods, it does a couple things. I mean, he was he was a Pro Bowl center very recently, and then that would totally free up the draft. We wouldn't have to take the center. We could take anybody there. And I don't know. I, I think that that's, that's a good bet unless, unless there's something wrong with him. And plus you get some intel on Cleveland because he was the one calling all the offensive line calls when they played. So you get a little inside info there. I don't know. I'm, I'm just brainstorming. I'm not sure what they're going to do with the $11 million, but I, I assume that they're going to bring aboard another two players with it. I know we just talked about him, but I forgot he was a free agent because I just couldn't believe the Browns did that. Yeah, that would be my number one thing is try to bring in Treader. You know, bring him in and solidify a top five offensive line. I, I, I just forgot, to be honest. So thank you for reminding me, Frank. Yeah, and Sam, yes. you don't know anything that I don't there, right? Like, there was no crazy injury or crazy thing that happened with him, to your recollection? No, they were just making room for Watson, I believe. I was say, I think that was just a cap casualty, unfortunately. I, you know what? And, and that's the thing. Like, that's where sometimes I feel like the Bengals got to get out of that behind, uh, after 30 mentality, you know, with certain position groups. Because I think J.C. Trader can still ball. And I would not be opposed to signing him, you know, and bringing him in, too. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, Frank, because, you know, like Sam, I forgot, too, that he was free agent. Yeah, that would be a real blow to Cleveland, too, if we had him calling the signals. But, you know, we'll see what happens with that. It doesn't look like they're signing him, and it doesn't look like a lot of teams are interested in him right now, and it's it's just a mystery. I wonder if there's something that we don't know outside of, you know, outside of what the GMs know. All right, let's move on to the last question before we get to our rapid-fire thoughts. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on Baltimore, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh. What they've done this offseason in free agency and who worries you the most? So we'll start with Justin. What, how do you feel about what they've done, those three teams, and who worries you the most out of them? I'm going to start with Pittsburgh. I think they've done the, the most out of the three teams. They've also done a good job of um, you know, signing some guys you know, on their offensive line. They brought back a number of pieces. Yeah, they had some losses, but I think the losses are more of an addition by subtraction type of deal. You think of like when they lost Juju Smith-Schuster. He was only under a one-year deal anyways. And quite frankly, I think that after the Von Bill hit, that he took, you know, after dancing on our logo, Juju has not been the same since then. And it makes me feel good as a Bengals fan to know that. And I think that Pittsburgh are thinking beyond the strength of, you know what, 
we want to get back to our Pittsburgh roots. They're not really so honing. Yeah, they signed uh, Mitch Trubisky, which I'm not sold on, obviously, as a quarterback. But I think Pittsburgh can pretty much, you know, string out whatever value they get with them because they're not so much heavily lenient on the thought of getting a quarterback in this year's class uh, in the first round. I'm assuming I can definitely be wrong about that, but I think that Pittsburgh has done the most valuable signings, but they're not the team that I worry about the most. The team that I do worry about the most, depending on how the situation shakes with Deshaun Watson, if he gets suspended or not is Cleveland, of course, because they have Deshaun Watson. I mean, he's an immediate upgrade over Baker Mayfield. And I understand Baker Mayfield gave us trouble over the last four years, you know, in his Cleveland career. I thought that the Baker Mayfield drama was getting too much for Cleveland, but they still have a lot of great pieces there. You know, they still got Miles Garrett anchoring down that defensive line on the edge side of things. Their secondary is a young secondary, but they're very proven very fast. Greg Newsom, you know, we talk about Jamar Chase, you know, being hitting the ground running as offensive rookie of the year. Greg Newsom as a cornerback, I thought he did really well too. You know, in this rookie year as well. And obviously, Denzel Ward, in my opinion, he is the best cornerback in the division. I know you got Marlon Humphrey, but that team is still roster loaded. And if for some reason, they keep making it work with the cap room that they have to bring in guys and sign guys like Watson to the big low contract that he is. When it comes to Baltimore, obviously, I do worry about the Lamar Jackson effects. And I do think that that could help them become better. But if you, but to be perfectly honest, I, this might be a little bit of a hot take here because I understand he was a former NFL MVP a couple years ago. But I'm starting to feel the value declining on Lamar Jackson. I obviously can't prove it, but it just feels to me that his value is declining because he is he has absorbed quite a bit of hits this past season. That offensive line was not good. I don't think that they did anything significant to upgrade that O-line. And yes, even though Lamar Jackson razzle-dazzles you with his running ability – he is learning the hard way now that you can't keep that up in the NFL anymore. He's still a great quarterback. He's still a franchise quarterback, top five or top 10, however you want to put it, because I know there's a lot of them there. But I, in the order that I would say that uh, that for teams that's done the most, I would go Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Baltimore. The team that I'm worried about from one to three, the number one being the most worried, is Cleveland, Baltimore, then Pittsburgh. Tom, what's your thoughts on the division and those topics? Cleveland's, you know, thank God Mayfield's gone. He's, like you say, his only games, good games, came against the Bengals. So, you know, we can uh, move past that. Cleveland's Cleveland. I mean, they take Watson, give him a, a, a huge contract, and have a press conference and the owners don't show up. They're in Europe. <laughs> so I think next year there's still going to be turmoil with him being suspended. So I think Cleveland's going to uh, regress. Pittsburgh's going to uh, is going to be a change in the guard. So I think they're going to be uh, I think the Bubby Brewster years are going to be coming back soon. Baltimore scares me. They're resting their laurels on everybody was hurt last year and they still play tough i personally don't like lamar jackson like justin said he's 
he's realizing, you know, the legs, you know, were electric his first year and MVP and what all that. But uh, what have you done for me lately? I, I, he's and then with all the hits they took at cornerback and running backs and out of the team that scare me, I think Baltimore is the one to watch. But I am confident that the Bengals are better than all three of them. Sands, what are your thoughts on, on our three biggest rivals and the one that resides in the town that you reside in? <laughs> um, Baltimore is the one that would scare me the most for next year, uh, just because who knows what happens with Watson and Cleveland. And if Watson's suspended for more than like four games, they're probably just going to not be a part of the uh, divisional title unless that team is much better than I think they will be or, you know, like a – I don't know if they, they go like one and three in their first four games. It's tough to come back from that, even if you're a good team. And I mean, honestly, hopefully Watson suspended longer while that's going on, both for the Bengals and, you know, figured out what's happening before letting them play, just like they did last year. So like, they're not that much of a worry for me next year. I think the year after is when you really have to worry about Cleveland. But next year, maybe I'll regret it. I'm not as worried just because I think Watson will get some type of suspension. Pittsburgh's going to be a pest and a, a nuisance. They're not, like, to me, somebody that will compete for the division title. Just don't really believe in a Mitch Trubisky-led offense, just like I didn't believe in a Ben Roethlisberger-led offense last year. So I don't see them really compete for the division title. They could. They're going to be a nuisance, though, because Mike Tom is a good coach, a good defense. They'll probably win, like, eight or nine games and maybe make the playoffs. But they're, they're not, like, a division title winner. Baltimore is, though. The, I mean, I'm not saying they'll win the division title, but they, they have the type of team that could do that. we got to remember that, I mean, Marcus Peters was out the whole year. They're adding more talent, well, at least a little bit. <laughs> Their young guys are going to get better. Um, I'm sure they'll add probably another wide receiver in this draft or an offensive lineman or something, So that, and they draft really well. So they worry me a bit. They're always good for a reason because they draft well. They sign players at value, all that stuff. So, I don't know. They worry me a bit. If Lamar stayed healthy, they probably make the playoffs last year. But I don't know. Uh, they worry me a bit, although I do think the Bengals in a one-on-one -on -one matchup, maybe this is recency bias from last year. I feel like they've got the advantage. You don't win like 81-30 to 30 over those two games and not feel good about your odds to win the next year. It's hard to beat a, an opponent three, four times in a row, but, I mean, they really killed Baltimore, man. I, I, It wasn't even neither of the games. I mean, the first game was close for a bit, but it, once the doors blew off, they blew off, and Bengals win by three-plus scores. I don't know. Uh, there's, I'd be most worried about Baltimore stealing the division from the Bengals, and then the other two teams, I have worry just about them stealing games. Like, Pittsburgh, I could see them, even though the Bengals handled them this year, I could steal a game that just, I, I could see it. They're, they're, they're going to be a nuisance, the nuisance of the division. And then Cleveland, even if they are out of the division race, if they face the Bengals in, like, week 15 and they have Watson, and that's that'll be a tough game despite whatever their record might be at that point. So I think those two are more nuisances, and Baltimore's a real challenger to the division. The only thing that I would say, just to kind of piggyback on both of you guys, since you guys both listed Baltimore as the thing that worries you guys in the division, for me, when it comes to Baltimore, you just worry about their psyche when it comes to the Bengals. This, that's just for me. It's 
because of what we did to them. You know, they're now looking at us like we shouldn't have done what we did to them. And they forgot that we get better too. And I think that they're going to want to keep those receipts from those last two games, the first game when they actually had Lamar. And one of the things I believe I tweeted out, it was Baltimore fans were just cringing on the thought of, you know, losing to the Bengals and then wanting to create the ready-made excuse about that they had so many injuries, wait till they get their injuries, the guys back healthy and stuff. And it's just like, well, hold up for a second. I understand and I respect that Baltimore had a ton of injuries. I really do. But let's not act like that that first game that you guys had a plethora of injuries. And then the week before when you guys, when they obliterated the Chargers in their own home. I don't even think the Chargers in that high-powering Justin Herbert-led offense scored. They didn't even score a touchdown in that game, I don't think. I believe the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers lost that game 34-6 to to Baltimore. Baltimore was flexing their muscles. They were taking, posing pictures on the sidelines and stuff, and they were getting the clout and the hype like they were the best team in AFC. We had it here all week, all week, how we weren't ready for them, and we were not on their level, and we had to go to M&T Bank Stadium. I don't think anybody was talking about injuries then. Nobody got hurt that game, and then we go in there, and then we beat the stuff out of them, and now all of a sudden, we also just give it to injuries? No, I just think that the Ravens got cocky, they are going to try to do what they can in this upcoming offseason to chase the Bengals. And I think that they're going to realize that it's too late. It's too late for them. That's like It's a thin line between Baltimore and Cleveland, of course. But I only say Cleveland just because they have more talent, more proven guys talented on both sides of the ball. But it's you can honestly throw a coin toss either way. Just talking what Justin just said, I firmly believe Wink Martindale was fired because of Joe Burrow, because he couldn't stop Joe Burrow. I firmly believe that, and um, listen, they're division games. I still feel, you know, they're going to be tough. They're going to be, you know, AFC North. So, But the Bengals are still, I feel, on the upswing. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Tom. I think the Bengals are, are still the best team in the division. I still think it's not going to be a cakewalk because all three of the other teams bring their own set of circumstances which can hurt you. Like, we, we didn't match up well with Cleveland last year. And, yeah, all right, if they're going to be going with um, Jacoby Brissett for the first few games, that, that could be an advantage. But then they're going to be stronger later. We have a tough time stopping that running game. Then they have a lot of very good players on that team. So they I think they would worry me the most. And who knows what we're going to get when Deshaun Watson comes back. If he was the player that he was, it's going to be a dogfight between him and Burrow for that division for years to come. Pittsburgh, I, I like what you said about Bubby Brister, Tom. That's that's clever. I mean, they're finally going to be down in the quarterback position for a while because I don't think Trubisky is the guy that's going to lead them to the playoffs and beyond. So, you know, they're going to be more of what Sam said, a, a thorn in the side kind of thing. One underdog signing that they have who I think is going to make a major difference is Miles Jack, who never realized his potential with the Jaguars. And you know how they are with those linebackers and edge rushers. It just seems like it seems like he's falling into the right scheme to be a very dangerous player for them. So that's a defense that could really do a number on you. And, you know, I mean, one T.J. Watt hit away, and, and, you know, Burrow could miss some time. And I'm not trying to jinx anything, but... You know, that's a nasty defense that can do a lot of damage to you, whether they're a good team or not. And if they're playing from behind and they're not a good team, 
they're going to be looking to you know get some comeuppance and, and lay some big hits on people. So they're dangerous just in that regard. And lastly, Baltimore just has a solid roster, and as San said, they develop talent well, so they're always a threat. And you know they had that three-headed monster at running back two seasons ago, which was really deadly. And all those guys got hurt. I think a couple, like Dobbins is probably coming back. A couple of those guys are coming back. And the same thing at the corner position, they had problems. And then they signed a blue chip safety. So, you know, they're a, they're a threat too. All, all three of these teams are a threat. But if the Bengals can take care of business and get a little bit lucky with without any major injuries, we should be able to take the division. But I think Cleveland's going to be the biggest thorn in our side there. All right, with that said, so we we have the Bengals coming in first and going to the Super Bowl as as now, which is going to be the norm, I hope. Let's move on to some rapid-fire questions. So I'm just going to blast out a question, and let's just get, like, a sentence on, on the question from each of you. First rapid-fire question, favorite off-season move? Tom? Uh, Lil Collins. Sands? Uh, Lyle Collins, but if I had to pick a second one, because that was Tom's, then uh, I was trying to think of one quick. Uh, right, Alex Kappa. <laughs> I saw your breakdown of his tape, and it was your, the breakdown was outstanding, and you could see that that guy can really play. He's 29 years old. I love that. I love that pickup. Justin, what's, what's your opinion? Favorite offseason move? Oh, man, it, it has to be Lyle Collins. You know, it was just the whole weekend and, you know, the angst behind it. It was just great. But if you have to – if I have to move on to a different person just because, you know, Lyle Collins has been mentioned already, I'm going to say bringing back Eli Apple. Eli Apple, that dude has gotten roasted in the media, and, you know, and multiple fan base, you know, for what happened in the Super Bowl. But to be honest, when you break down this tape towards the back end and into the playoffs and even in the Super Bowl, he really didn't play that bad. And the Bengals made a smart decision on bringing him back because they realized that they're going to need him again at some point. Made a huge tackle to get us to the Super Bowl. Right, at, on Tyreek at the goal line, people forget Eli Apple had a great second half of the season and a great playoffs, and he just fell victim to Cooper Cup, who, I mean, technically, I'm, I'll say Jamar, but Cooper Cup is technically the, the best receiver in football, and, you know, it's hard to target Eli Apple on that. I don't, I don't know how many corners would have been able to defend some of those routes. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement on all those. My favorite would probably be Collins because he was – you know, we, we were so hungry to get a blue-chip offensive lineman, and if he's healthy, he is he is going to be, you know, one of the best in, at his position. All right, next question. Is the opening day left guard on the roster or not right now? Is it Jackson Carmen, one of the other guys? Are they going to move people around? Tom? Uh, not, not on the roster because uh, I think it's going to be Spain. Sands, what's your opinion, on the roster or not? I like Tom's idea, but I'll go with the hot take. I'll say on the roster, but it's not Carmen at all. I, I, I something about Deontay Smith. I mean, I, I think he's got it. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> did did he steal your guy, Justin? Yes, he did. Oh my goodness! Wow, <laughs> I love it. So, it's, yeah, Deontay Smith, I don't know if you guys know about this, he was like 265 at Eastern Carolina in senior year, gets injured, and he just works out, and he comes into the training camp at like 315. He put on 50 pounds of muscle in one year. I don't know. I think this guy's going to work. <laughs> I think this guy's going to be an insane workout warrior and steal that job. Yes. 
that is that is my answer too. And yes, you you, you already know uh, Frank that I'm going that same route. I think the guy that plays left guard is on the roster. It is not Jackson Carmen. It is it is going to be a Deontay Smith because I think that he is going to beat out Jackson Carmen for the job. I really do. And is. No disrespect to Jackson Carmen. He's just not developing fast enough. And I think that the work ethic that Smith brings, because I heard that same thing too, like the, the amount of weight and muscle that this muscle that this guy has put on in one offseason was ridiculous. And I can't wait to see him on the field, honestly. Nice, nice. Yeah, and you know, out of the three they drafted, Carmen Hill and Deontay Smith, even though Deontay missed a lot of the year, he seemed to be the most effective out of all three. I'm going to take a, a little bit of a right turn. I'm going to say that the left guard is on the roster right now, but it's going to be Karras, because I think they're going to get Linderbaum. We'll see what happens there. That's just an outside-the-box theory. Opening day left corner, who's it going to be? And you know what, we'll, we'll reverse the order here, because I know that Justin yeah. just mentioned his satisfaction with Eli Apple. Is the starting left corner going to be Eli Apple on the roster, or is that starting left corner not there yet? Justin, what's your thought? I don't think it's going to be there yet. And I love Eli Apple, but when we signed Eli Apple, he was brought in as our number four corner because we had a we had a sunk cost uh, approach when it came to Trey Waynes. I'm very thankful that Eli Apple was signed in that context because of you know the the terrible signing that Trey Waynes ended up being. No disrespect to Trey Waynes, because I know he didn't intend on getting hurt. But I don't think that left corner spot is there yet. I think that they're going to go into the draft with that one. Maybe it's Andrew Booth. You know, maybe it's Kyrie Elam, as what uh, Sands mentioned earlier. So that's why. They, or maybe they go with another free agent. Sands, is the left corner on the roster right now or not? I'm going with no. I'm not going to go with a hot take to say Jalen Davis or something. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say no. Um, I really think – I don't feel that confident about it, but he's the guy I think that the Bengals end up taking. I think they end up taking Kyer Elam just as he's the best player available. I'd say he starts. Tom, do we have our left yeah, corner, or is he still out there? He's, he's still out there. They're not – they signed Eli Apple for a backup role. Either they find it in the draft or another free agent. There's no other cornerback on the roster yet. Yeah, and I'll tell you guys, if you look at the roster, we're pretty thin at corner. I I, I, I checked it a few days ago. I think there's only like four or five guys signed, so they're, they're going to need to bring in at least a draft pick or two and a possible free agent. I'm going to say that the left corner is on the roster, and it's going to be Eli Apple. And then they're going to try to work in a draft pick to possibly supplant him this year or maybe next year. That I don't know. That's just my thought on that. Let's move on to the next topic. And this is, what are we doing at punter? Kevin Huber, Cincinnati native, longtime Bengal, a little bit of a drop-off in his game. Are we bringing him back? Are we bringing up Chrisman? Or are we drafting one? And Sands, I think you, you had alluded to this in, in one of your tweets. So let's actually go with Sands first on this one. What... Huber, Chrisman, or other? Uh, I've been, I haven't watched a second of punter film. I don't know anything about punters, but I think everybody's been too high on that Matarasa kid. Anytime these guys get so high on these, these special teamers, the Roberto Aguayos and the Zane Gonzalez, those guys never pan out. You want the next best. <laughs> so the next best is Ryan Stonehouse. So I'm hoping he's the punter next year. I love it. <laughs> where, they, where would they get him in the draft, Sans? Not like the seventh round. Hopefully, not, hopefully you're not actually spending a real pick on that. <laughs> right. That would that would be big, like McPherson last year in the fifth. Tom, what are you thinking on the punter? I think it's going to be Huber. You know, like you said, Cincinnati. He's not terrible, so uh, they run it again. 
And Justin, what are your thoughts on that position? It's got to be other. And kind of like what Sanchez just said before, yeah, everybody's too high on that Matt Razor guy, 100%. It's, all, it's like he's the only punter that's trending on social media, and it's kind of getting exhausting, really. Um, whereas Kevin Huber, as much as I want him to finish his career with the Bengals and retire a Bengal, I think he probably should have retired momentarily after the Super Bowl. Because if people don't recall, the play, the Super Bowl in and of itself, man, he had a lot of terrible punts. Uh, we had a lot of bad field position in that game because of punting alone. So I'm going to say other. I don't really believe in the Drew Christman hype yet. Maybe he works himself in there in training camp, but I think they're going to spend their sixth or seventh round draft pick on him. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do there. I mean, the Christman, they kept bringing him on the roster and cutting him and bringing him on and cutting him. I, I think he, he had a broken hand, so holding was out of the question for him, and I think that was one of the reasons why he didn't get a fair shake last year. I know Huber's game has dropped off. It has. He's he's having hip issues. He's getting older. His net is not what it used to be. We, we know that. We saw that. But if you look at his inside the 20s compared to his touchbacks, he had a very favorable ratio there. And... The only reason why I would want to bring him back, and maybe you guys are going to disagree because it is giving up field position in in a way, but you almost don't want to break up that Harris-McPherson-Huber thing. I know it's just holding, but there's something in the chemistry and the room that they have that led to this rookie who was outstanding, would have been outstanding with anybody there, but just that trio was so successful on field goals and, and big-time kicks that I almost feel like let's go one more let's go one more round with Huber. Let's get him some competition, and if he truly gets beat out, yes. But I, I would say bring him back for one more dance, and you know that's that's just my thought on that. All right, let's move on to the next one very quickly on this. Backup quarterback is a major position, and we saw what happened when Joe Burrow wasn't in the lineup. It, it was a disaster. As much as I like Brandon Allen, and he's Joe Burrow's friend and confidant, he's almost like a coach on the field. I wasn't happy when he came in against Cleveland. You know, you have all year to prepare, and you go in and you lay an egg. Even the year before, you know, he had a not a good year when he when he filled in for Burrow, a losing record. A lot of a lot of times, it looked like the game was too big for him. And I'm sorry if I'm disrespecting this guy, but do you go into the season? It appears that we are, but do you go in with Brandon Allen as your backup, or do you think about drafting, or do you think about picking up a free agent on the street? Tom, what do you, what are we what are we doing with this backup position this year? Listen, it's, it's Joe Burrow bust. So I think they bring him back for being familiar with uh, the organization, the playbook, etc. Joe Burrow. If we have to go to a backup, we're in trouble. So anyway, so bring him back. It is what it is. Sands, I know you've analyzed his game more than the average folk. What are your thought is what what are your thoughts on Brandon Allen and or another backup? I, yeah, I think that there are multiple types of backups in the NFL. If you don't trust your quarterback, you get a backup like a Teddy Bridgewater, like what the Dolphins did. If you trust your quarterback, you kind of bring in a backup like um Brandon Allen, or, you know, kind of the quarterback's friend, assistant quarterback coach type. Chad Henney, I think, fits that mold in Kansas City. He seems to be the uh, assistant quarterback coach out there for Mahomes. And uh, then if you have an old quarterback, sometimes you have a young guy behind him. The Bengals are in that second one. They know they have a quarterback, and he's young, so they're probably just going to roll with somebody like Brandon Allen. And 
He's been mostly disappointing, but if you ever want to get excited, rewatch that Texans game because my dude was throwing fire. I don't understand <laughs> what happened during that game. They, he was throwing they was, these were like trick shots. I don't know what like the ghost of uh, <laughs> I don't know Ryan Ryan uh, uh, Matt Flynn took over him, and then Matt Flynn was that backup, gave him through seven touchdowns. It's like he was doing that same thing to Houston, and that was the only game he ever played. I, I feel like he might have ended up getting some type of weird backup deal where he makes like $10 million. But then of course, you know, he was Brandon Allen for the other games. So I don't know. Uh, I, I'm fine bringing Brandon Allen back. He's essentially assistant quarterback coach and friend of Burrow. If Burrow's out for more than like four games, you're probably not doing much anyway. I mean, maybe you can salvage the season if you had somebody, but I mean, Brandon Allen's the Jim Sorge to uh, Joe Burrow's Peyton Manning. Yeah. <laughs> Great comparisons on, on all parts. And, that just off the record, that that game by Flynn earned him a big contract. It was, I think, it was just one game that that earned him some decent money. Justin, what's what's your take on on the Brandon Allen situation? Kind of in line with everybody else, and I do like the uh, the Jim Sorge comparison because that's exactly who I thought of too. He is pretty much exactly Jim Sorge. And those listeners that don't understand who Jim Sorge was. That's probably a good thing because Peyton Manning never got hurt, and Jim Sorge was just a guy. But remember, once upon a time ago, in Peyton Manning's early years, I believe a backup quarterback at that time was Mark Rippon. You know, former Super Bowl Washington Super Bowl champion Washington, then Washington Redskins quarterback in 1991. So that's the kind of little bit of fun fact I learned um, not that long ago. But I think they're going to just ride it out with Brandon Allen for this season. Uh, the only time I want to see him go into a football game is when we're up big and we don't need to play Joe Burrow any longer because yes. he listen, we're already up three scores, two minutes left to go in the game. Here, Brandon, go ahead and get some reps in. Those high-value backups like a Teddy Bridgewater and now Andy Dalton, don't get me wrong, I would love to see the Red Rifle back in Cincinnati as a backup. I would love to see that happen, but you, the only reason why you go for high-value backups is when you know your starters isn't all that very good or it's a little bit on shaky ground that you probably may need to pull them and rescue them with the high-value backup. We don't need to be in that situation at the moment. We have got our line fixed, whereas before we would have dabbled into that as the insurance policy. But because I feel like that we have solidified our line to the, enough of the point where it's, you can go ahead and ride it out one more season and one more time with Brandon Allen, but please invest in that backup quarterback position at some point. Yeah, I agree with all you guys there, and I think that with Brandon Allen, the price is right right now. He came in at like a little over a million, so that's a, a very good price for a backup quarterback and enables you to do stuff at other positions. And I also agree that the only time I want to see him is at the end of the games filling in for Joe Burrow, and I also agree that if Burrow goes down for four or five games, your season is probably shot. And I also agree, I mean, you guys made such great points. I agree with you, Justin, as well, that Maybe next year we start looking at at having a serious backup that can that can handle the load, just so we don't you know blow a playoff season if Burrow misses some time. Also, look at the fact that they did upgrade the offensive line. Maybe putting them in front of a, a decent offensive line, maybe he produces. You know, that's a good point too, right? We give Joe Burrow credit for getting away from the rush and creating magic. Brandon Allen's not that same kind of talent. Maybe with a, a, a solid pocket. He will be better. That's that's a great point. That, he, Tom. that if he had a play, God forbid, Burrow gets hurt. You know, like like Justin and, and Sam said, get him in the fourth quarter when they're up thirty. That's when you want to see him. 
and hopefully that we see that like five six times this year all right yeah last rapid fire question and i just want basically a one word answer if you guys can do it for me coach taylor i've always liked him you know we've we've had ups and downs with him a lot of bengal fans wanted him out a lot of bengal fans love him now i was always kind of riding with him I, I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's an intelligent coach. I think he's a good motivator. I think he's a good speaker. I think he's a good person. They extended him for five years. Is five years just right, too long, or too short? Sands. To me, too long, but you kind of have to do it when they make the Super Bowl. I don't know. I, I, I still don't really know who he is as a coach. I know he's a player's coach and a good guy. I, I haven't seen you know, creative genius, but he, I don't think he's inept either. Tom, too long, too short, or just right? Maybe a four-year would have been better, but, I mean, like you say, you make the Super Bowl. He's, he's, he wrote Joe Burrow, so, you know, might as well. I, I feel it's Joe Burrow Bengals, not Zach Taylor's Bengals. So, he made Zach Taylor look good. Justin? You know, I'm actually done a complete 180 on Zach Taylor based off of where we were prior to the season started. And I think it's just right for now, in my opinion. Uh, five years, yeah, I know for a number of guys it might be too long, you know, especially with those new coaches that want job security, they want to command a five-year contract. But think about it. Kevin Stefanski, I understand he won coach of the year uh, his first season as the Browns head coach last season. He signed a five-year contract. And I think Zach Taylor deserves that same five-year contract. He does a lot, hell of a lot more than uh, Kevin Stefanski, and he's overcome more than Kevin Stefanski. Whereas Kevin Stefanski had more talent to work with in Cleveland, and Zach Taylor, when he inherited the Bengals, he had a mess. A lot of the guys that he inherited is not even in the league anymore. And I would say this: he's a visionary. Yes, he may not be the creative. Sean McVay guru genius like we, people thought he was going to be when we first brought him in. I don't think he needs to be that. He's a visionary because he sees what this league can become. All he needed was that guy at quarterback. He knew what he wanted at quarterback. He was able to make the early decision early on when it came to Andy Dalton and benching him. I know a lot of fans hated it when he did it on his birthday. I'm sorry, but it was long overdue. Marvin Lewis was not going to do that. But Zach Taylor saw ahead of the time that this is not my guy. He also saw ahead of the time that Ryan Finley was not his guy, that the guy that was going to be Joe Burrow, who plenty of people were saying that we should have traded that pick anyway or gotten Chase Young. So, and then, again, when it came to the Team Sewell, Team Chase debate, the front office don't get involved in those debates. They have their own internal discussions. But they saw ahead of the time where Zach Taylor was the visionary that saw, like, we need to be more explosive. And the way to be able to be more explosive is to get this particular go let's go this angle now you're seeing everybody copycatting off the what the Bengals schematics are and that's honestly because of zach taylor's vision of what he wanted there is no culture in cincinnati football without zach taylor so i think five years is just right i'm gonna go against you guys on this i think you could have still had him motivated and happy and kind of rewarded him for the super bowl with a three-year deal i really thought five was a little long i i understand you know, they want to establish a long-term culture, but I just think that they could have accomplished the same good vibes and good feelings with a three-year deal. But I, I do want to point to a couple things that Coach Taylor has done. And, you know, Joe Burrow was destined to be a star when he came out. We know that. But the way that Coach Callahan and Coach Pitcher and Coach Taylor have handled the development of Joe Burrow, you can't just ignore that. So I, I do give them credit. You know, they had a stud there, but they made sure that 
everything went right for that guy. And I think they've been a great attribute to his career. And secondly, you know, the play calling in the first year or two under Coach Taylor was a little suspect. I really felt that it got a lot better this year. And where it was most evident was after halftime. The halftime adjustments that we made this season was something that I've never seen, that I haven't seen the Bengals do in decades. And it was nice to see. And, you know, a lot of that is your coordinators, but I'm going to give him credit for masterminding all of that and, you know, winning games in the second half by making the proper adjustments. So, yeah, I'm glad he's aboard. Three would have been just as good as five, but let's go with five big-time years. Him and Burrow, let's, let's try to make a couple Super Bowls and get a couple rings. Last item for you guys, I want to ask how people find you on social media. Tom? McLevy Minute on the Twitter. Sans? You can find me at Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. And Justin. I'm also on Twitter. You can also find me at Juddy, J-U-T-T-Y underscore 13 on Twitter. Or you can just search Justin Lacey. And anyone out there listening, I mean, you've heard these great guests and these great minds. And if you follow these guys on social media, it's just one great post after another. Just endless entertainment. And I I really want to thank you guys. I mean, we've done about an hour and a half. And truthfully, I I could go another hour and a half. It's, It's just, it's great talking about this team with the three of you. And I want to thank all three of you for coming on. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be the unofficial Bengals podcast draft preview episode. And we're going to feature some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.